now turn to our text found in Matthew 11. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Matthew 11 is about the mission of Jesus, what he's been called to do, where he's called to, what, what he's been called to, to say. There's a concern that there is an understanding at this time that God is coming in judgment. And people are wondering, isn't Jesus the one who's going to come in judgment? In a sense, Jesus says, yes, but first, first, I must offer myself as the way, myself as the one who receives the judgment of God for those who believe in my name. Let's read Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, Among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds." Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved in the Lord, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. These are the words of one of Job's three comforters. And even though it's an unsavory source, we still recognize the truth of these words. Especially as life continues, it seems there's little opportunity to rest. In our recreation, we can have a short break from the troubles of life, but they, they return quickly. Those troubles return quickly when we return to our regular duties. As the author of Ecclesiastes tells us, the labor of his hands is vapor. His pursuit of pleasure turns to ashes in his mouth. His pursuit of wisdom appears to be a chasing after wind. More, the lack of communication, the feelings of being left out, the desire for acceptance, the knowledge of others' anxieties and angers, they exhaust us. We may begin to feel that everybody is out to get us. We can go down the path of an endless jostling for petty powers over one another and an endless list of petty grievances with which to charge other parties. We are burdened. We're burdened by our own labors. We are burdened by the expectations of others. We are burdened by our own sin. That's where David's words in Psalm 38 come in as well. The burden of the wrath of the Lord as we see our part in the brokenness around us. Our failure to live righteously before God. This this experience by, by our own sinfulness and forgetfulness of the wrath of God can already add, or can add to the already heavy burdens of existing. Ultimately, we are too often unwilling to recognize the depths of our own misery. That's why it's only those who humble themselves as little children can come into the kingdom of God. But to do that, we need to hear the call of Jesus. And he calls us today with the words of Matthew 11. Come to me, you who labor. And I'm going to use the more traditional translation, you who are weary. Come to me, you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, the heavy laden, Or rest in Jesus. The theme is rest in Jesus. And first we're going to look at the heavy laden. Second, we're going to look at Jesus' call to take on his yoke. And finally, we're going to see the lightness of Jesus' yoke. So rest in Jesus. In Matthew 11, God is teaching us about the nature of Jesus' ministry. It's moving toward the theme of rest, which will be taken up in chapter 12, where Jesus is revealed as the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest. 
begins with John the Baptist double-checking whether Jesus is the Christ. John the Baptist was called to declare the coming judgment of God and with it a call to repentance. And he wonders at Jesus' ministry. John told Israel, the axe is laid at the roots. Is Jesus that axe? Jesus responds with accounts of his his miracles. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus must first hold out the opportunity for repentance and renewal. And ultimately, his ministry is to take that judgment, the axe is laid at the roots... His ministry is to take that judgment on himself. And those who are willing to hear him will come and find life in him. It's not that there's no judgment coming upon those who refuse him. He tells us of certain cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida, which deserve worse than the destruction that came against Tyre and Sidon. He tells Capernaum that she will have it worse than Sodom if she does not repent. But Jesus' ministry gives those cities an opportunity to repent before he comes in judgment. Repent because God is good. In fact, he thanks God that he has hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. The little children understand their own weakness and the fact that they have to depend on someone else. Therefore, they are able to hear Jesus. The rich and powerful, the wise and the learned are not able to hear Jesus because they love their own wisdom. It's not that they're ultimately any, they're they're not any less miserable, but they're blinded to the message of Jesus by their own power, might, and wisdom. But in all this, Jesus does not lose the opportunity to call on those who recognize, who recognize their misery. Come! Come, all who are weary and are heavy laden. We need to understand this in the context of the Jews at the time, especially the Pharisaical Jews. They gave the people all kinds of extra rules and regulations that went beyond the law that Christ had given. The Jews might look with anger at their Roman oppressors, but more often it was their own leaders who oppressed them with high expectations of following laws that went far beyond the good law that God had given at Mount Sinai. The weary and heavy, the heavy laden were those whose consciences were burdened by these endless rules and regulations as every move was measured by prying leaders. They were burdened as they sought to meet the expectations of those around him. Ultimately, this was not just a bunch of burdensome rules. It's more than that. Through the Pharisees' rules, the people were kept from the rest of God. This also meant that for those who who were sinners, who recognized their sin, and were not able to let go of that guilt. The prostitutes and tax collectors are offered grace in this statement. We know from the Gospels that they're burdened with social stigma. There's not a willingness to receive them back into the community of God if they are repentant. 
So they are burdened with social stigma and the reality of their own sin. But they too could come to Jesus. Of course, we have our own social standards that are so often unexpressed, and these too can become burdensome. We can think of our society today. Perhaps these are not common among ourselves, but I use them to enlighten ourselves. But these, and these can also show some of the freedom Christianity can bring to the tender conscience of many in our society. Think of the burden of environmental consciousness, which often goes far beyond the basic habits of cleanliness and order to a demand for constant attention to being green. Or the question of racial equality and past oppression, which goes beyond recognizing the circumstances and having sympathy for those who have suffered. Instead, many are burdened with past wrongs that can never be made right. Meanwhile, others are burdened with a constant need for justice, a justice that cannot be found on this earth. Ultimately, both of those are answered in the cross of Jesus Christ. And there is in all of this a mix of the burden of real sin and the burdens that others put upon us. And Jesus says, Come, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How? Through the cross, I will nail all the requirements of the law. I will also take your very real sinful nature and I will destroy it on that cross. You will have rest, rest from the power of sin. Why is that rest? It's because our consciences are constantly standing against us, accusing us of failures. But God says, I will give you rest. You will no longer be chased by the whip of sin and death, accusing you and destroying you. You will have true rest. And in the context, this rest is reconciliation with God. Jesus is saying, I know my Father and my Father knows me. I am the very image of my Father. That's what he said just before he gives this call to the weary and heavy laden. And Jesus destroys sin and sin's rule so that you may have rest in God. He frees you from your sin, but he also frees you from those who bind your conscience with ill-fitting yokes. Through Jesus, you see the Father. So Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, so that you may have rest with your Father, the God of Sabbath, the God who created Sabbath for man. Shortly, the very next chapter, Jesus will be revealed as the Lord of the Sabbath. What does it mean to be a Lord of the Sabbath? That means you are the one who gives rest. So are you weary of busyness, of the clamor of social media and the news cycle, of pontificating scholars and their wisdom and their rules and their moral obligations? Then come to Jesus. Are you weary of social pressure and ultimately your own accusing conscience? Come to Jesus. He's the embodiment of Sabbath rest and rest is freedom from these burdens. 
Now, these burdens don't automatically come to a full stop when we come to Jesus. Although, when we are with him, say on a Sunday, we can fully experience the joy of the rest of Jesus. It seems too often following that, there's a return of these burdens in the week. We are flesh and the flesh is weak. We get caught up in the wearisome grind of this world. So keep coming. It's a lifelong approach and search for the rest that he brings. We taste something of it now and we look forward to the time when we may let go of these fleshly, sinful nature bodies to someday exchange them for spiritual bodies. Full rest, full peace. That brings us to our second point. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you, adds Jesus. The suggestion is that the the burden and labor of this world is cast on Jesus. And in turn, we take the yoke of Jesus upon ourselves. The first thing to notice is that we have a yoke. Some would claim that Jesus frees us from all claims, from all law, from all social pressures. That's not necessarily true. Jesus has a yoke. In the words of Romans 6, we remove the yoke of sin. We're no longer slaves of sin, and we are now slaves of righteousness. It's the same for the Old Testament ceremonies of the law. We remove the yoke of the law in that sense, and we take on the yoke of Jesus. We're now working for Jesus. The yoke, of course, is meant for oxen or other animals, and it's used so that they can pull plows or carts or or other things for their masters. Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you because it will be good for you. It will help you in the calling with which you have been called. It's given to strengthen you in living out what it means to be human. Taking Jesus' yoke upon you is to learn from him. And it's in the scriptures that you find the law of Jesus. We'll sing at the end of the service from Psalm 119. There we sing of the goodness of God's law, how it fits with what we're called to do, how we can become great through that law. And that's not because of the law itself. If we look at the law itself... Right? If we just focus on the law, we'll become like the Jews. We'll have unreasonable expectations of one another. We'll burden with one another with our particular applications of the law. But if we have the Lord Jesus and his character at the center of our application of the law, the law which flows from the gospel of the cross, then we can say in response, out of your salvation, out of your salvation, my sins being covered, my sins being removed as far as east is from west, you make this yoke of following your law easy and light. Out of your salvation, I will follow you and praise you in all that I do for the days of my life. Because you are so good. It's so good to be connected to Jesus. 
then the yoke of Jesus is wonderful and good because it fits. It's because our connection to the law is not to some abstract principle, but to the person of Jesus. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. That's why you want to take the yoke of Jesus, because he's gentle and lowly of heart. You take the yoke of any other person, you take that yoke upon uh, upon you, it's going to be ill-fitting. They're going to be unhappy with the way you bear that yoke. But Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. I am the preeminent child that relies on the good Father and Creator of heaven and earth. I am gentle of lowly of heart. I am gentle and lowly of heart. I will not break the bent reed. I will not blow out the small spark. I am good. Sometimes we think that we need to yell at somebody to improve them. There may be a place for that. But even that must come from a gentle heart, a desire for the good of the person you are speaking to. So when God gives us hard times, it's in a way calling us back to attention, back in attention uh, to him. Gentleness, I've defined gentleness before as having a hard head, willing to speak the truth, but also a soft heart, desiring the good of those we are relating with. And if that defines anybody, that defines Jesus. Jesus is willing to speak the truth, to call out the oppressive Pharisees, and at the same time, he grants mercy and grace to those who are around him. Jesus' words remind us of Psalm 18 where David says, Your gentleness makes me great. Psalm 18 is all about David learning to be a holy warrior for God. And in the middle of it, he points to God and how God is forming him. Your gentleness makes me great. God is gentle with David, teaching him, training him to be a truly excellent holy warrior for the sake of God's kingdom. God is forgiving, being patient with David's sins and trespasses. Even the great wickedness of David and Bathsheba. You see, Jesus, as God, as the Lord, as the revelation of the Father... He knows everything about us. He knows the ins and outs of our nature. He knows exactly what is good for us. And he knows us better than we do ourselves. So come to him, you who are weary and heavy laden. Take those burdens from your life and cast your cares upon him. And submit yourself to him. He will teach you. He will guide you. And you will find rest for your souls. He's good and will not burden you with what you cannot bear because he's gentle with his children. And that brings us to our third point. My burden is light. And Jesus confirms this with his final words. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's foolish to burden an ox with a yoke that interferes in his calling to plow the fields.
the Pharisees were doing. They were burdening the people with a law that they were unable to fulfill. Jesus' yoke fits perfectly because it reflects who we were made to be as people. Because he himself is the one who is reforming us so that we're able to fulfill the law. So why is being a Christian so often burdensome? It's not because of Jesus. The simple answer is because it's because of our flesh. We allow the flesh to take control. We allow unconfessed sin into our lives. But even in that, if we're willing to recognize our sin and come to Jesus and quit that heavy burden, we have the rest of Christ. We might also have reserved some part of ourselves from the yoke of Jesus. Jesus, through his word, has given us a law that is perfectly in accord with our nature. But we might rebel against some part of that law or fail to apply that law to some part of our life. Jesus' yoke will fit uneasily because we're not willing to fully submit to it. Because we haven't properly fitted it to ourselves. We haven't internalized the law to the degree that we ought. And so we kick against the goads. Right? Like Paul. Kicking against the goads. Not necessarily in the same extreme way that Paul did. But in our own minor ways. This is where again Jesus' gentleness comes in. Jesus is so patient with us as we grow in him. Yes, we need, we need discipline, and sometimes, especially if we're not looking to him, we may need harsh discipline. But he's forming us, preparing us for the task that he has given us. Christianity can be burdensome because of the expectations of others, or even what we perceive might be the expectations of others. Jesus says, don't yoke yourselves to others. Yoke yourself to me and my good law and follow that good law. Finally, Christianity can be burdensome because of the falseness of our own conscience. We can say, this is what Christianity means or, or this is what all the theologians are saying. But again, this particular thing goes beyond, beyond what is written, beyond what is written in the word of Jesus Christ. Our conscience might accuse us because of our past or because of our culture, of something that is entirely permissible within the worldview of Scripture. So although it's not good to sin against our conscience, we need to recognize at the same time that our conscience may burden us unreasonably. Jesus promises rest, and in that rest, a burden that sits lightly upon us. Parents, teachers, elders, pastors, the civil magistrate, they all give us imperfect and uneasy burdens. They can create a heaviness that can undo the goodness of our lives. Jesus says, I will take that burden away and I will give you my yoke, which is the very thing that God made you for. Jesus is the good elder brother, shepherd, and perfect king who represents our heavenly father perfectly. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Jesus gives full access to the father 
He allows us to worship the Father so that we may have rest. If we are right with him, if we cast all our cares on him and take his yoke, we will have rest for our souls. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing in response from the remaining verses of Psalm 38. We, hear, we sing of God's answer here to David's misery and suffering. Mm-hmm. 